his American tour by giving his lecture in authentic Antaroch dress, which had begun with his wearing a long ceremonial cloak in which to demonstrate the tribe's use of Stone Age weapons, spears, knives, and hunting bows. The only trouble was when he took off the feathered cloak and revealed what was underneath. The students at Brown began screaming in a manner more often reserved for a wet t-shirt contest than a seminar in the hallowed halls of the Ivy League. The Providence, Rhode Island newspaper had called it a small riot. The Yale student body had apparently heard about it, too, because Woolsey Hall was packed to the rafters. This, Dr. Peter Havistock was now saying in a slight Australian accent, is an Antarctic spear. You can tell by the decorations of cowrie shells and strands of human hair hanging from it that it is pretty gussied up, something one ordinarily wouldn't do to a serious weapon. Therefore, the ornaments indicate that the spear is intended for ceremonial purposes. He held up the spear at arm's length and gave it a good shake. If you listen carefully, you can hear quite a number of rattles tied to the shaft. They're filled with the knuckle bones and teeth of conquered enemies. He gave the weapon another shake, and the ornamental festoons of black human hair flapped wildly. Yes, this spear's definitely for ceremonial confrontations and parleys, he assured his Woolsey Hall audience. It looks pretty, makes an impressive noise, and the material of hair, teeth, and bones extracted from enemies tells the other side you mean business. The Antarochs rarely kill each other, it's mostly intimidation. But when you come into a tribal meeting to negotiate with this, you know they're going to listen. Before you step into the parley area, he put down the spear, and his hands went to smooth down his feathered cloak. You shed the chief's official cape to show you aren't carrying any secret weapons. At that moment, the small group standing in the wings was joined by the arrival of the New Haven Register photographer and people carrying television cameras. For a moment, all was chaotic, the new arrival trying to explain to the woman reporter why he was late, and the others inquiring about lighting. "'Will you people hold it down?' whispered the head of the Yale Anthropology Department, who was also standing in the wings. "'This is a lecture, not a three-ring circus!' "'W-N-E-U?' Leslie whispered as something caught her eye. "'That's local television, isn't it?' A portable light suddenly blazed. Yeah, a voice said in her ear. This'll definitely make the 6.30 news. Leslie realized some misguided individual in the Yale provost's office had given permission for local TV coverage. But it was too late. The television crew had already moved out from the wings, the newspaper photographer not far behind. Havistock saw them and looked straight into the cameras. So if I'm a chief and I'm coming into a parlay, he reiterated. I'm going to take off my cloak and let my opponents know I'm not hiding any concealed weapons. Dr. Peter Havistock's hands moved to the neck of his cloak, and his fingers untied the strings there. The garment slithered the length of his body and fell to the floor of the stage, and the anthropologist stood revealed in the authentic Papua New Guinea tribal warrior costume of the Antarox. There was silence. Then a gasp shook Yale's great meeting place, all the way to the upper balcony. Wow! Someone screamed. Now that's a secret weapon! There was a roar of laughter. Leslie couldn't see what the student audience was reacting to as the anthropologist's back was to her. But she knew from what had happened at Brown University that the front view was amazing. Dr. Peter Havistock, the author of the surprise best-selling book Determining Anthropological and Developmental Social Factors Among the Papua New Guinea Aborigines of the Antarctic Valley 
made an indelible impression. He was broad-shouldered and long-legged, and his six feet three inches had the nicely distributed muscles of a jungle-trained physique. Thanks to living as an Antaroch warrior chief, there was not an inch of fat on the man's frame, but he was hardly scrawny. Muscles rippled in his shoulders and back when he discarded the feathered cloak, down to a view of what the Yaley audience would undoubtedly describe as really awesome buns and strong bare legs. In addition, the tropical sun had toasted Peter Havistock's skin to a deep golden brown that matched his slightly waving sun-bleached hair. Is that all he has on? A G-string? The register reporter shouted in Leslie's ear. Leslie didn't answer. The dignity of the Wimberley Foundation, Dr. Havistock's sponsor, was rapidly going down the drain. The audience was still screaming appreciatively. Dr. Havistock demonstrated with his weapons a few menacing postures that were...